0: Support for NPR and the following message come from Ally. While you're working hard, is your money being lazy? Make your money work harder than ever with Ally's new smart savings tools. For all things money, you deserve an Ally. Visit ally.com. Ally Bank Member FDIC.
1: 15 years ago, Pixar released The Incredibles. Now, I've said it before, I'll say it again, for my money, it is the best superhero film of all time.
2: It told the story of the Pars, a seemingly ordinary suburban family that was unusual in one very specific way. They had special powers. Now they're back.
1: This time, Elastigirl, the mom, goes back to work while dad, Mr. Incredibles, stays home with the kids. The moody teenage Violet, the super energetic young Dash, and baby Jack-Jack, the breakout star of this movie.
2: The film stars Holly Hunter, Craig T. Nelson, Bob Odenkirk, Katherine Keener, and lots of others. It's written and directed by Brad Bird, who also made Ratatouille and The Iron Giant.
1: There's corporate intrigue, there's some hand-wringing over surveillance and screen addiction, and there's a bunch of new heroes, and we're talking about it on this episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour. I'm Glenn Weldon.
2: And I'm Linda Holmes. Here with me and Glenn in the studio is Stephen Thompson of NPR Music. Hey, Stephen.
1: Hello, Linda.
2: And in our fourth chair from NPR's Code Switch team is our friend Gene Demby. Hi, Gene. What's good, Joe? It's uh, always good to have you with us, of course, it's always sir. Good to be in, in this case, to talk about a cartoon. I want to go back to Glenn first. You uh, have said, as you mentioned in the intro, that The Incredibles is you think the best superhero movie of all time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, what did you think of The Incredibles two?
1: The Incredibles is great. The Incredibles two is good. Yeah. There's something about that first film which has a, a clean. Conception about it that just works. And I I spend entirely too much time in the review that I just wrote for Incredibles 2 talking about why Incredibles 1 is perfect. Here, uh, there's some sequel blow, right? When you expand the world that you created in the first film, you necessarily complicate it. And in a couple places, you overcomplicate it. But I can't say enough about the action. I can't say enough about the design. I can't say enough about the music, which is so stirring and wonderful. I have some thoughts about how the retro future setting of this film, this mythical, like, never existed era that we're in, uh, kind of complicates and really gets in the way of some of the some of the humor, especially of the film. But I can't say enough about the action. All
2: right. How about you, Gene? What did you think?
1: Uh, I agree with Glenn about the action choreography. It was really, really well done.
3: Um, one of the things that's really interesting about this movie, and I didn't even realize this until we were on the way to the screening, was that The Incredibles came out in 2004, which, one, made me feel really old, but two... That's like a pre MCU universe, right? It's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. a world before we had the sort of drumbeat of big comic book, big superhero movies. Um, and so there's a way, like, I think we like, the sort of the beats of these movies are much more familiar to us in the way that they weren't in 2004. Like, even though in the screening, I think we're all sort of sitting there, like, oh, is there going to be some kind of post credit sequence, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. going to be some kind of jokey joke, uh, some so sort of like casting forward into the future. Yeah. Um, little uh, Easter eggy thing there. There was a, a few times when, like, the movie sort of toss out a bunch of ideas that they didn't really follow through there was a point at which like it felt like there was gonna be some moralizing about body cameras and policing like you know i was like what is this about like and they just sort of drop it but there's a whole bunch of stuff like that in this movie
2: yeah what'd you think thompson
4: boy i agree with both of you (laughs) (laughs) and i and not to say next but i really agree with both of you i think that to put it in context people love to rank pixar movies Mm. i think when you look at Pixar movies, that most of them are sequels. Monsters University is technically a prequel. But you list your, like, second and third entries in Pixar franchises. It's second only to Toy Story. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's better than Cars 2 and 3. It's better than Finding Dory. It's better than Monsters University. It is not as good as Toy Story 2. It is really fun. Michael Giacchino's score mm. is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I also want to speak up. You mentioned in the, in the intro, Glenn, breakout star Jack-Jack, yeah. uh, the baby, who is kind of a... a Punchline in the first movie. Uh, The movie kind of builds to an unveiling of Jack Jack. They really use Jack Jack in some extraordinarily funny and witty ways. Uh, Kind of Chuck Jonesy slapstick. Exactly what I said. That's
2: exactly what I said. Very much so.
4: And there's a, a sequence in this film where Jack Jack sort of faces off against a raccoon. And it is so funny. And so playful and silly and zany and kind of over the top. And more violent and kind of riskier than the film
1: around it. Mm Yeah. Did you not feel
4: that way? But not in a a, a transgressive way. Mm. Not in a way that like, oh, boy. uh," Because sometimes cartoons will do that, right? And in this, it's just playful. You have a few kind of longish stretches of moroseness in this movie. The the stuff where Mr. Incredible is kind of learning how to be a stay-at-home dad. Some of those scenes are just a little slow. And I like anything that gives this movie a little bit more juice. I mean, yes, good, not great. I still highly recommend it.
1: Definitely.
2: Mm. So I'm going to be a little bit of a wet blanket, and I'll tell you why. The Pixar movies that I really love are the ones that I feel like have some heart to them, some emotion to them. And I think that's partly what they are known for in movies like Up or even like the best parts of WALL-E. There's a kind of like, there's a strange emotional pull of characters who sometimes seem, you know, like they wouldn't have emotions like robots or something like that. But I think if you look at, you know, Finding Nemo and, you know, the ones that people have loved the most have these big beating hearts. Inside out. Inside Out, of course, Mm -hmm. of course. But to me, this film, it is a lot of fun. I take nothing away from the design. I could not stop looking at Elastigirl's hair, the Uh way it's animated. (sighs) It's one of the only times I've seen a woman's hair animated in a way that looks like a woman's (laughs) hair. It's a really hard thing to do. And I very much appreciated that kind of Chuck Jonesy. That's a perfect description. That Jack-Jack sequence is really wonderful. There are some good gags, but I think what they're going for in terms of heart, right, which you would think would be the family story, is kind of caught up in this like the family can accept that mom goes to work and dad (laughs) stays home. And I understand that there are still people for whom that feels like a big deal but to me that kind of feels like oh wow what a what a great guy willing to take care of his own kids like <laughs> it just felt to me like we're arguing having the arguments of the 80s and yeah. i and and for that reason <laughs> i was a little It left me a little cold. I was like, oh, gee, mom gets to go have a job. How great and generous of all of you. Like, that was sort of where I I got lost.
1: I think that's a function of the retro future setting. We're we're, we're kind of trading on these 50s and 60s tropes, this mid-century modern design, which in the first film, even though we saw Helen kind of play visually with some June Cleaver iconography vacuuming under the couch and whatever, she was such a real character who it was very clear is basically the real hero while mr incredible's kind of the sidekick and that is still in the scenes where helen's out on her own uh kicking butt and taking names that's still i mean like she she is great but so much of the second half of this film is based on the kind of gender politics of the 50s with jokes from the tgif Uh, Friday night lineup (laughs) of the 80s, of just, as exactly as you're saying, he's inept at dealing with kids. And the heart that the film wants is, you know, he comes to learn that he, you know, he's he's overcompensating with with Violet and, you know, he needs help with Jack-Jack. Like, when that works as part of the visual iconography, as it does in the first film, we get it. Here, it just can't support all that weight, and these jokes are really stale, which is why I think of everything in this film, it's that family humor which yeah. just felt like, oh, really? This still?
2: Yeah. Am I being too... Am I being mean, Gene?
3: No, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, there was a way I think you can be really subversive about the gender politics in this movie. This movie didn't really do any... It, like you said, it felt like very old-fashioned, and or, or the arguments I was having felt like, you know, from a couple decades ago. I was hoping when we spent all the time with Mr. Incredible, like, at home, that they were going to do something a little bit more interesting with that, you know? Um, But they didn't. They just sort of just like, oh, I learned that I'm good at... Like, I can help my kid with this new math. I mean, it felt... Oh. I mean, even new math, right? Yeah, no, right? <laughs> that's no, not a that,
4: current concern. And that's the
2: weird—that's the weird thing about it, right? Because it's not the actual 1950s; mm-hmm. yeah, the it's it's the cultural 1950s, but mm-hmm. not the actual ones. That, like Glenn said, I loved looking at that all that mid-century modern kind mm-hmm. of design. They go into this house at one point, and there's all this really cool technology that I thought was very funny. and oh, I, yeah. I loved a lot of that stuff. And again, the I think the physical comedy of this movie works very well. But like you said, it's constantly trying to sort of... New math to me was a really funny touchstone. (laughs) Because I think a lot of kids... Now are going to be very confused yeah. by what the heck new math mm-hmm. is, yeah. mm-hmm. unless they happen to listen to Tom Lehrer songs. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know what I
1: mean. What do you guys think of the animation? Because computer-generated effects, you know, they they go up generation after generation in in minutes. It seems like so. If you go back to look at The Incredibles today, it seems like a cutscene from a, a Xbox One, uh, <laughs> Xbox One film. I mean, it, it still looks great. But here, the animation is is showy, you know, there's big set pieces that look spectacular, but what's happening is you have to take the uh, design of the characters from the first film right. which they look like they stepped off a social realist painting. They were very simple. Mm-hmm. Mr. Incredible has a nose that cannot exist in a <laughs> real world setting yeah. or even something approaching a real world setting so what they have to do is they add all these shadings and nuance yeah. and especially in the acting the character voiced by Catherine Keener is the most Catherine Keener-esque character I've ever seen. <laughs> 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 she oh, Catherine Keener is Catherine Keener. Yeah, But the the facial, the acting, the nuance, the uh, expressions are so... Now they can be so subtle that you kind of reduce the Uncanny Valley into a shallow trench. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just spectacular.
2: Yeah. There's an interesting thing going on where, like you say, the Catherine Keener character is animated in a very realistic sort of way, at least a relatable kind of physical Mm -hmm. way but you still have Mr. Incredible who has the cartoonishly large shoulders and Elastigirl who has the cartoonishly large hips Uh and I feel like there must be a great essay somewhere (laughs) about why he has the hilariously big top half and uh-huh. she has the hilariously big bottom half mm-hmm. you know it's like he's got the he's got the heavy lifting shoulders she's got the giant birthing hips it's like it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, yep. it's a, there's a visual you know comedy to that but i do think it's a little odd in that way what do you what do you think yeah about? i mean
4: it's interesting because as kind of hyper realistic as that katherine keener character is they also introduced the bob odenkirk character her her brother and he is his head is half nose. Yeah. yeah. So so they manage to play around with some exaggeration in some areas and some hyper realism in some areas, which also extends into the animation and into the world around them. There's at least one scene in this film in which there are characters interacting with water. And it is using that hyper realistic water effects. And so you have these cartoony characters interacting with a very realistic yeah. water yeah. setting
2: and I I just want to say regarding that sequence I'm being very good here and very spoiler proof by not pointing out which action movie has almost the same climactic moment yeah. as <laughs> this the as the Incredibles 2 uh, come and hit me up on Twitter after you see it and we'll see whether you know that the, yeah. the one that I'm thinking of
3: it's pretty obvious yeah. um, <laughs> I was curious what because you know these movies superhero movies always sort of rise or fall on the strength of the villains, right? Mm. And I was sort of wondering what you made of the sort of motivation of the bad guys. Well,
2: so you, you, without giving away kind of, I don't think it's a huge surprise who the bad guys are, but to leave that vague, I do think the underlying story is a little bit limp to me but mm. that's almost always true in superhero yeah. movies. I've said a million times I never remember what what is the plot mission of is. the villain. What is yeah, the plan? The I mean way. it's always something they want to do something. I usually don't care what it is and I didn't care what it was here. I didn't think it was very important. There are a couple of weird moments where it seems like it's going to tip over into some kind of high college students talking about the world and Mm. quoting their
4: philosophy classes out of context. I I am with Gene that uh, I really sat there like, what is the plan here? (laughs) Why? Mm -hmm. More so even than I usually do in superhero movies, and I almost always do that in superhero movies too.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, broken record here, but the reason Incredibles (laughs) works so well. (laughs)
4: Incredibles is so great, and I really like this one. Is
1: because the villain was prophetic the villain is a toxic fanboy (laughs) who hates the thing that he used to love we see that they're thick on the ground now back in 2004 they were they were still around trust me i I encountered many of them but they, they weren't part of the culture unfortunately the way they are now here it's a lecture about screen addiction that is just muddled like i sat there during the manifesto that is delivered going what why what and obviously yeah. it's it's because you, you've complicated the world. You've added some other aspects to it. So you need to kind of they're reaching for something as simple and they're just not finding it.
2: Yeah. And I think the basic structure of how the baddies work in this film will be very familiar to people who watched a lot of like Moonlighting and Scarecrow yeah. and Mrs. <laughs> King. Like it feels that way to me. How did it ultimately strike Eugene, now, you, Gene? I thought it was a this. really
3: a really fun movie. Um, I will admit to having superhero fatigue. Like, I think we've been through this cycle so many times, and it just takes more and more to sort of make these things interesting. There were some ideas that were thrown out in this movie that I wanted them to chew on more. Like, I mean, they sort of get tossed. I mean, some of them I'm glad they sort of let go. Like, there's a scene in which uh, Elastigirl and uh, the Katherine Keener character are having this conversation about... Cynicism in sales and, yeah. and 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 it's weird. optimism in sales. It was the weirdest, strangest little aside. When you flick at real world stuff like body cameras and security, like you can't just sort of do that. You know what I mean? You have mm-hmm. to like, you have to put a little bit of of your back into it, a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it was, I felt like it was like re- it was like flicking at this real world stuff for topicality, but not really like chewing yeah, on
1: right. it enough for my yeah. for my taste. One of the smartest things this film does is it brings Edna Mode back, yes. uh, but it doesn't overuse her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's back she gets more to do but not a lot and yeah. in the popular consciousness the Edna Mode character has been reduced to no capes and you know that's the catchphrase she is there to do a lot more than that she is there to take the kind of problematic troubling pseudo-randian philosophy that is undergirding this entire these both of these movies and bring it out into light and make it funny and kind of point at it in a very clear way and say this is what you buy into when you buy into this superhero theory, the superhero idea. It's part of it. It's not necessarily pretty, this notion that uh, people with extraordinary gifts uh, should and deserve to use those gifts and society be damned. That's not a great great philosophy, but it's read into when you talk about superheroes as part of it. And so she's there to encapsulate the taking that idea to its extreme.
2: Yeah.
4: One other thing I I did want to mention, what did you guys think of the short film at the beginning of this movie? Because I still haven't expanded on my single, my one word review of this short, which was, huh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So,
2: so the short film is called Bao and it begins with an Asian woman uh-huh. creating a a personified dumpling who becomes like her little boodle, her little baby. And I had the same reaction to it that Stephen did. <laughs> I sort of thought like, hmm, right. But then I was watching a conversation that ran between uh, Alison Wilmore and Angie Han on Twitter. Uh, They're both cultural critics and writers, and they were talking about it as a a metaphor for the kids of Asian immigrants and how resonant and, like, how they burst into tears and all this other stuff. So I feel like it's maybe a really important experience that didn't quite land with me, but will land with other people. I was
3: saying after we saw it, I was like, this is an essay we get pitched all the time at Code Switch, right? Like, there's a universe of people... For whom this is like a really like specific experience that Mm -hmm. they have all the time.
4: Well, and I love the way these Pixar shorts take chances, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes they use them to expand on their technology, and sometimes they use them to tell stories that don't typically get told in mainstream animated movies. It's
1: wonderful to sit in a movie theater and think this hasn't been targeted to me it's a novel experience (laughs) and one i hope to have more of
2: yeah in the future well once you've had a chance to see the incredibles 2 and bow we will be curious to hear what you think of it find us on facebook at facebook.com slash pchh or tweet us at pchh when we come back it will be time to talk about what is making us happy this week so come right back Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hulu. With the largest streaming library full of your favorite reality TV shows, Hulu is the home for reality TV's biggest fans. Catch all the drama, all the tears, all the heartbreak, all the competition. Because Hulu has your reality TV. Start your free trial today. Learn more at Hulu.com.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp, a truly affordable online counseling service. Fill out a questionnaire online and get matched with a licensed counselor best suited to your mental health needs. Whether it's depression, anxiety, or trauma, BetterHelp will help you overcome what stands in the way of your happiness. Learn more at BetterHelp.com and get 10% off your first month with promo code HAPPYHOUR. BetterHelp. Get help anytime, anywhere.
2: Hey, NPR fans, did you hear a sponsor you want to learn more about? Head over to NPR.org slash podcasts and click sponsors and promo codes to learn more. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It is time for our favorite segment of this week and also every week. What is making us happy this week? Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week?
4: So I'm a huge fan of, of the band The National. I'm a huge fan of the band Bon Iver. Together, BoniVers Justin Vernon and The Nationals' Bryce and Aaron Dessner have started a new artists collective slash website slash concert experience slash I don't even know what called PEOPLE. Uh, PEOPLE is in all caps. Uh, to find it online, because there's another large entity called PEOPLE, <laughs> you have to go I mean, to,
2: not to mention PEOPLE. Yeah, not to right. mention actual Black people. people
4: right, you right. have to go to BETA p dash e l or you can google justin vernon people and find it that way this website is kind of a portal into a lot of demos and sketches and experimental material by the artists who participate in it so basically it is a rabbit hole to get lost in like old Justin Vernon demos and uh, an unreleased music by bands like This Is The Kit and Polisa. A lot of bands that I like that are kind of affiliated with those musicians. But when you actually get to the music, there are among other things, two brand new bands that are premiering as part of this project. One is the Dessner Brothers themselves, Bryce and Aaron Dessner, and a band that they have called Red Bird Hollow. And the other is a duo of Aaron Dessner and Justin Vernon. So if you like Bon Iver and you like all of Justin Vernon's many, many, many side projects, this is a new one. It pairs his kind of oblique and poetic lyrics with these kind of busy soundscapes. It's very, very, very pretty. Uh, Let's actually hear a little bit of the song uh, Forest Green. That is the very convoluted <laughs> Project People, a website, an arts collective. Uh, in August, it's going to be a big concert and a, an incredible rabbit hole to get lost in a bunch of cool and weird and fun new music.
2: Just Google Justin Vernon people. <laughs> That's yes. my advice.
4: I can read that uh, URL for you again. <laughs> Backslash tilde. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Glenn Weldon, what is making you
1: happy this week? Man, everybody's talking about this film Hereditary. Yes. Uh, horror film, uh, Tony Colette. I am not talking about it this week because I'm a scout and uh, I, I will not see it. But I will if I recognize patterns, right? Because I just recently watched The Witch, which came out in 2015. Oh, yeah. So here's what's going to happen. In the year 2021, I will pick a sunny Sunday afternoon where the glare on the TV kind of keeps me from seeing everything on the screen. Yes. I will get a beer and I'll call the dog up on the couch. And yes. together uh-huh. we will watch Hereditary. The Witch is really, really good now it shares a lot of what's happening with Hereditary now. It is beloved by critics, not liked by audiences, at least not yeah, by and my daughter
4: scroll. wasn't crazy about the
1: witch yeah, mm. because it it's not scary. It fills you with this. Gathering, sickening dread. It's set in <laughs> 1630s New England. It's this very strict Calvinist father takes his family away from the community to go live in the woods and and observe their religion more strictly. And then hijinks ensue. Hi-jinks. Not wacky hijinks, uh, just terrifying hijinks. But slowly, uh, it's written and directed by Robert Eggers. Anya Taylor Joy plays the oldest daughter, who is really you know the star, and she's fantastic. But so much of this film depends on her younger brother, played by Harvey Scrimshaw, great name, and there is a scene about midway through when everything that has gone before and everything that comes after entirely depends on this actor nailing a thing he has to do, and he just is so freaking impressive, and nails it, and makes everything around that scene just land. I really, really dug it. Perfect for sunny Sunday afternoons. That's The Witch, which has been out forever.
2: Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Uh, Gene Demby, what is making you happy this week?
1: Uh, what's making me happy right now is Streams of Thought by Black
3: Thought. Uh, he is the the MC, the longtime MC of The Roots. Last fall, he set the internet on fire with this epic yes. 10-minute freestyle on uh, Funkmaster Flex's show in which, like, everyone just retweeted. It's just, like, him going oh out of his mind for, like, nine or ten minutes without really pausing. It's yeah. incredible. It's amazing. But, like, Black Thought is this virtuoso, like, maybe one of the three or four greatest rappers who's ever lived, but he's sort of, like, really opaque. Like, he doesn't really, like, like, put himself out there. And so people have been clamoring for him to do something like a solo project for a long time. And this this little EP that he did... I think it's like six tracks, maybe not even six tracks. It's really interesting because it is like all the things that are great about Black Thought. He's like a virtuoso. He gets to do all of his super percussive, like complicated rhyme scheme stuff. But it also has like all the sort of the the like really maddening things about the Roots historically, which is like it's not really like, it's hard to figure out a time when you're going to be in the mood to listen to, so, you know, the, the Roots oh, don't sure. make like radio music. Which is like to their great shame, like they, they had this like great respect but not a lot of adoration around them you know listening to this gives you a chance to like appreciate just sort of the technical wizardry that like that he possesses like it's a very unique set of skills he possesses but also like why in a lot of ways like why he almost couldn't be like a like have like a big album in a Mm -hmm, lot of ways mm because there's no hooks on this album on on this EP right there's just, just like him Going for six minutes at a time, yeah. you know, which is like dope to listen to, right? This is like the perfect format for him. Um, but also, like, it makes you like, oh, this is why he never would have become like a solo star, right? On his right, right, own, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, he's. If you want to just hear somebody go ham for like, like 25, 30 minutes <laughs> on a microphone, this is just like injecting it straight into your blood. It's like so, it's so, do- like sometimes you're just like, wow, how did this, how did this happen?
2: And tell them again what it's called.
3: Streams of Thought by Black Thought. All right. I awesome. got to
2: gotta throw in
4: one more recommendation, which is NPR Music put together this amazing, beautifully shot video of Black Thought being interviewed by our pal Rodney Carmichael, yes, who you remember nice. from our Grammys show, who's such an incredibly smart, Cool guy. Them together is just an awesome meeting of the minds. Wonderful,
2: wonderful. Very good. Thank you very much, Jean Denby. What is making me happy this week is an audiobook that I am in the middle of listening to. It is called uh, Educated. It is by Tara Westover and it is about her life growing up. She grew up in a very, very isolated family in Idaho. Her father had a big scrapyard where that's what he basically did for money. And he was basically waiting for the apocalypse. And he was sort of a prepper and a survivalist. Hmm. He also was very concerned about the Illuminati. The kids didn't go to school. They also were not really homeschooled either. They stayed at home and their mom made herbal remedies and dad scrapped uh, for money. And she eventually, went to BYU, and then she continued and, you know, got a very advanced education eventually. But the part of the book that has really been staying with me is her talking about her experiences growing up, as I said, very, very isolated. And one of the things that the book really gets at that I think is so important kind of in the world right now is that people only know the things they learn. And you don't realize how much you cannot learn if you are raised in a certain way. She gets to BYU, for example, and has never heard of the Holocaust, doesn't know what it is. And when you realize that that's possible under extreme circumstances, it really brings to the forefront how much people who don't know a lot about history or aren't reading widely, Mm -hmm. how much it is possible to not know. It's a very tough read, but she's a very good writer, and it's a very good book that very much will teach you about how important it is to read and know things about the world around you. Very good book, uh, mm, nice. Educated, by Tara Westover, and that brings us to the end of our show. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find me at Linda Holmes. You can find Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can find Glenn at G H Weldon, and you can follow Jean at G D Two Fifteen. That's G E E D E E Two One Five. You can follow our producer, Jessica Reedy, at Jessica Reedy, Our also producer, Alex McCall, at A.W. McCall. And our producer, Emeritus and music director, Mike Katzif, at Mike Katziff, that's K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, Hello Come In, provides our in and out music you are bobbing your head to right now. Thanks to all of you for being here. Thank Thank you. you. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have a second and you're so inclined, do give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people to find the show. And we will see you all right back here next week.
3: Sam Sanders here. You heard Linda and her crew rave about the new star show Vita right here on Pop Culture Happy Hour. Now you can hear my interview with the two stars of Vita, Melissa Baretta and Michelle Prada. That's on my podcast. It's been a minute from NPR.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club, where every bottle tells a story and NPR shows become wines, like weekend edition Cabernet Sauvignon. Available to adults 21 years or older. Learn more at nprwineclub.org.